We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Darius and Mike. And today, it's a celebration as the Lakers just whoop the Memphis Grizzlies 125 to 85. Brooks got that 40 piece he was looking for. And Lakers move on to the second round. Whoop that trick. With a 4-2 uh, series victory. Guys, I am a swirling mix of happy, grateful, and petty right now and i'm trying to keep that last one down but it's going to come out a, f- a few times so last night you know we were working the game or mike and i were working the game you didn't do the recap of of last night and we'll get to why in a little bit yeah and you know wrap up at like one in the morning and i hop in the shower i like to take a shower at the end of the night to kind of clear my thoughts right and just reset get ready for bed and i get out and i have a missed call from mike I'm like, what is Mike doing calling me at 1.22 in the morning? And I call him back like 15 minutes later. And it's we basically just go, ah, oh, let's fucking go, right? Like that's basically the tone of the phone call <laughs> at 1.30 in the morning about what a great night it was. And you said something, Mike, that I would love for you to paint more detail on it in that you were talking about what a wild experience it was to go from a really nervous pregame environment like and i've i've missed this but i've also we've been through so much emotionally as laker fans the last couple of years like that whole debilitating i can't get shit done at work feeling the whole day because the game's at 7 30 and you even talked about this a little bit yesterday mike but that whole like nervous feeling before a game and game sixes are big you know and to go from that to a celebratory environment as quickly as it happened mike you're talking about what a wild experience that was man so the floor is yours man uh, talk to us about what that was like yeah the arena it's been terrific uh, and really since i started with the lakers but in this kind of a context you walk into the building and, you know, so I guess there are certainly some people that were nervous. I don't I think that's probably the wrong word. I think it's a little bit more. They were more anxious. Uh, and yeah. and because there was a certain amount of confidence based on how the Lakers have been playing. And I had gotten I had gotten a, a hint that the rotation was going to be trimmed towards the one that we've been sort of talking about a lot, which was, you know, Beasley and Brown out AD extended minutes. 
And, and so all of that, all of that left me in terms of who is going to win the, the actual game, you know, uh, feeling a certain type of way. But the bigger part of that rested with LeBron and just watching the way that he carried himself on the court and knowing kind of what he was going to have in store, or at least like I need to see him not do what he just did until I'm going to bet against it um, at least four yes. times out of seven. So as, so as you're in there and, you know, the buzz is starting to increase, but I think that that feeling of confidence as all the players got out onto the floor started to sense what the vibe was going to be. You know, that's it's a it, it really is a comforting feeling. And I've been in a lot of Laker playoff games. Unfortunately, many of them were years ago, were like 10 plus years ago. Mm-hmm. But that's how it used to feel then, too. And the, the difference only was that that it was usually games five and seven because those teams were always the one seed. You know, they were always like it was somebody else coming into your gym. Mm-hmm. But so that's one thing. Then I get a text. Yo, Jack is here. And man, and that was like that. And, and I'm telling you, it was, it was a big deal. I texted <laughs> yes, you guys and Darius yes. was like, whoa, you know, yeah. I mean, it's uh, it so good so to see that. Him. It's like it, you know, LeBron goes over to him. It's like Jack's Jack just represents um, yep. more than anybody else. Right. What real Laker fandom is, even for um, one of the biggest celebrities in the world. Like this dude is about it. And I, and I think that, I mean, Flea too. I just, I'm, I'm a, a little bit of a sucker towards Flea because he really gets the team. He watches every game obsessively. He's right there courtside. And he represents, I think too, like an LA kid, it's, you know? It, yes, absolutely. And it, it's one of those things, yeah. Mike, too, where like the, the Lakers have always been something that can turn the biggest celebrities into little kids when they're watching right. the Lakers. And Kobe's 60-point game in the last game of his career is one of the ultimate examples of that. Like, you're going shot to shot, and it's like this massive celebrity that's just like, oh, my God, freaking out the same way everyone else is. Right. And you and you mentioned, I mean, so, like, I think of Vanessa, who's, who mentioned in, in uh, one of her speeches, and I think it was at the, might have been at the Hall of Fame. Um, about how Kobe thought about the kid up in the 300 level. And like, yeah. that's, that's, that's what the, you know, and you guys as, as uh, lifelong Laker fans can speak to this much more than I can. But so all of that, you're, you get, when you get in the building, I think you can, you get some of that feeling like that connectivity. And then the game starts. The first thing that you notice just up close and personal, they are locked in defensively. There's one early turnover uh, that leads to a jaw layup. But other than that, like in the half court, Memphis hits a couple of tough shots. In fact, they hit their first three shots and that's mm-hmm. about it. Uh, and, and I, so the Lakers kind of steadily, right? Lakers are getting better shots. They start to go in. Um, Austin hits a three to put them up 14 to nine. LeBron gets a layup. LeBron is moving crisply. LeBron hits a three. They're up eight. And when I really noticed though, that like the big basketball difference was AD stays on the court. Memphis goes to the unit that doesn't have Luke Kennard, which I, I do think was a big deal. Then all of a sudden, Jaron Jackson Jr. has to guard Anthony Davis. And the Lakers just start setting screens with us with a small. And he's just free roll to the rim. And, and Memphis is just like, well, what are we supposed to do? And yep. and there's nothing they can get on the other end because AD is everywhere. And at that point, like you could just feel the the confidence start to seep out of Memphis. And, and the Lakers were not taking the foot off the pedal at all. The arena is starting to swell. There's a little like there's a Jumbotron tribute for Jack. I mean, it is. And this is when I when I called Pete Darius, I said, I want to be very careful to qualify. Nothing will ever be like the 60 point Kobe finale. But that game was like a it was like game seven with no pressure is the way that I describe it. Just oh, everybody wow. there just party. No, no, no. Sorry. The Kobe game. So the 
that game, the, the Kobe oh, game I was see. just like, yeah, yeah, just the, let's let's honor this guy, um, this this Laker for life that's done so much, and then he he mm-hmm. returns it with sixty, and it just couldn't have been a more perfect moment. This game once once the blowout was just inevitable, which again I think was in the first quarter, like it was you know thirty one to sixteen when Rui dunked. Um, right uh, coming around the baseline off of that fast break play. And that's the start. That's the feel that like swell of Laker confidence from Jack up to the 300 level, all of that bravado, you know, that's been well-earned over the years that that started to swell and it, it doesn't reach the fever pitch necessarily of, of um, you know, the Kobe night, but the fact that it got close in terms of a vibe was, was crazy uh, in the arena. And Meanwhile, you know, Golden State and the Kings have to play game seven. And, and there's so there's this kind yep. of all of this belief that I think has been building steadily just crystallizes, you know, at some point of that game. And it's like, oh, this is how this team can play. This is what they're all of these possibilities. It's like this this um, the dreams, I think, of the team, of the players, of all of these guys, of the fans all coming together. And so that was that's how I would try to describe what's going on in the arena and meanwhile, we're texting and, and Darius has a whole nother experience that I think a lot of <laughs> Laker fans have had over the years with a with a kind of the confluence of family events and big games. So uh, let's let's hear about that. Yes. So last I, I did that right for Lakers.com. I have had a big sort of family slash school event. My wife is a teacher. For those of you who have listened to the pod for a long time, our kids go to the school that my wife teaches at. And so there's this big event that the school does every year. It's sort of a celebration for all of the families and all of the faculty. As many people show up as they can. And it's a big party, right? And so there's booze, there's food, there's people dancing, there's music, there's a DJ. The DJ was doing his thing. And I was telling my wife before the game, I was just like, man, <laughs> she's like, well, if you want to stay home, we've all been there, you know, you can stay home and you can watch the game. I like, I know the game's important. And I was just like, no, I already told the guys I'm going to this event. I'm not going to watch the game. This is that and the other. So I'm at this event. But before we go to the event, the Warriors game is on and we live in the Bay Area. It's a big game. My wife's a Warriors fan. And we go to this bar beforehand that's right by where this other event is is going to be. And we're watching the Warrior game and the Warriors are losing, but it's just like, are they going to make a push? And there's some anxiety in the bar, but there's a lot of like commotion too because everyone's excited. And I'm looking around the bar and then I'm like, wait, is that a, is that a Carlton Fisk jersey? Wait, and I was just like, wait, is that... And I was like, is is this a is that a picture of Dr. J and Larry Bird like choking each other? Like the famous picture? Is that a picture of Larry Bird like dribbling past Magic Johnson like on a fast break? And I'm like, I'm in. I'm in a Boston sports bar. And so then I look above the bar, right? These are pictures that are on the wall. And then I look up at, at the bar, and there's like this Budweiser logo but like in the bottom there's like um there's a four-leaf clover you're in enemy territory yeah and and it says celtics and i said i looked over to my wife and i said we gotta leave here (laughs) before the lakers game starts because i can't have any of this juice on me (laughs) before this laker game starts like i said i need all good vibes so we leave and then we go to this event and i'm just like okay 
and I'm like, okay, I'm not going to be on my phone a bunch. Like, like I'll check the score every once in a while. I'll check texts from the guys, but that's about it. We walk in and there's literally this massive projection screen up on the wall. And they are projecting the basketball gods the blessed you, right? You're, so, you're being the good dad, going to the event for your kids, right. right? And exactly right. Good husband. That's basketball karma. And now you got drinks and people oh, dancing and a Laker game on I've a big ass drinks. TV. Let's go. I've got music. I've got food truck access. We're just all doing. So I'm just like, oh man. And so my wife's friends who are her coworkers, they all know me. They know some of the side work I do and they know that you, you know, about the pod and Lakers stuff. And so they're they're just like, oh, like you're ready, aren't you? Like, are you even gonna be talking to us tonight? I was just like, I'll be in it, I'll be in it. But then I'm off to the side, like sort of watching the game. And, and then it's Bay Area. So some two short comes on. I'm just like, oh, I'm going to go dance. Right. We're going to feel the vibes for a minute. But as the game kept wearing on and on and on, it's just like, uh-huh. you know how my mood was. I was feeling damn good, Pete, because the Lakers were at the very beginning. Like like Mike said, there was some anxiousness. Right. And obviously I'm not listening to the game. I can only see what's being projected. And so there's a certain amount of the aura that you don't feel. I did a rewatch this morning. And so I got a much better sense of what it was like in the arena on my rewatch. That early part of the game, I I did notice that the Lakers looked locked in, but Memphis also looked like they came ready at the very beginning, at least, right? And to watch the Lakers sort of take that out of them possession by possession, and mainly through Anthony Davis's presence defensively. I thought it was a classic rip your heart out game that this sort of team hasn't played many of these like and we haven't really seen one one of these since the the run to the title in the 2020 season. And so, Pete, I'll kick it to you there because that's a very specific sort of game that as longtime Lakers fans, we've seen Magic Johnson do that to people. We saw Kobe Bryant and Shaq do that to people. And now we just saw LeBron James and Anthony Davis do it to this Grizzlies before, team. Before we get to Pete, uh, Darius, we talk about Street Fighter 2, but you play Mortal Kombat, right? Oh, yeah. Remember oh, yes. Kano? Kano. Kano. Kano takes yes. take the heart out. <laughs> You know, and then he holds oh, it up. Oh man, he ripped. And Pete is beaten in his hand. And Pete, you know, there were uh, there were a lot of guys doing doing that kind of stuff. But your what was your you were working uh, the game, uh-huh. watching it probably like you have many games. Yes. But like what was it your was experience all, all the as the game was growing? It's funny. It was I watched the game the first time, and this is crazy considering the like the vibes in the arena i actually watch it with the volume off even though i know that the place is going nuts and i i actually think it's easier to lock in and engage on the actual basketball that's happening and the thing about <laughs> the thing about being someone who's relied upon to be an analyst of the lakers like people listen to the pod and try to you know get some information from us is that the lakers have been so ever changing over the last couple of years and we end up with this team at the trade deadline that it's like Okay, what are we? Like people listen to the pod to help decipher that. And so for me, I'm like, fuck, I don't know. You know, like that's been the experience for a great part of the last couple of years. And it's been that digging and trying to figure all of that out. And one of the things I loved about last night's game is that I think a game six like that, that Mike is really revealing of the truth. Whatever the good, bad, and the ugly, but like who are you? 
we talk so much about this pod on kind of the ebb and flow and the, yeah, the Grizzlies are probably going to take game five and, and they did for these reasons, but this is a game, Mike, where everybody's locked in, right? Like it's an elimination, an elimination game for Memphis, but for the Lakers, this was the one where they were going to, whatever it was that they thought they did best, who they could be the best version of themselves. We were going to see it that night and good, bad or ugly. They won by 40. How many times do teams win games like that by 40 a game six? Yeah. The only games that, so I, we sitting right in front of me, uh, Noah Camarena, who's on the Lakers PR staff. Shout out to Noah. Mm -hmm. And he, he looks up, uh, Noah will sometimes will is good at, like in the middle of a game, he'll look up at, hey, when was the last time the Lakers led by blank after three quarters, right? Where like I could do it myself, but I'm also doing the broadcast and he's he's sharp on yep. it. And I'm like, by the way, I think I was, the, I think I know the game because I was there, but I think it was game five, 2009 against Houston. Um, and they led by 40 after three. Like that, where that, that was the game where, well, it doesn't even matter, but basically the Lakers were a lot better. That Houston team was kind of plucky though. It was like our test and Battier. And then they, and then they went back and won game six, by the way. So the Lakers had to win game seven again by like 30. Um, but, and that was like, that was the only one, that was the only game that I've been at, in, especially in this kind of a setting with that much at stake and where they sort of broke Memphis. Yeah. I just think like I was, um, I was trying to remember what, at what point this this type of feeling in terms of a basketball team like what is the relevance what is the relevancy of this how can when did a team change itself that much at the deadline and have the chance to be that good especially when they were a lower seed you know because this was only the sixth team as a seven seed to ever beat a two seed in nba history and there are reasons for that of course right lebron ad the health the roster the trade all that but and now, as you said, Pete, like the it's to me, it's all about they put it on wax now. And that's like so Jay-Z never wrote his lyrics down, but he needed to get into the studio at some point, because once you have once you've got a great track or a, the great outline of a track, you got to get you got to get it down somewhere. Mm-hmm. If you don't want to write it in the notebook like Tupac might have. Right. Uh, and they now the Lakers, that game was them putting putting it on wax like they showed the coaching staff even darvin ham said this like all right now you guys showed me this is what <laughs> <Do> that <laughs> this yeah. is what you can do <laughs> yeah and not that you're going to do it every game and, and and lebron literally can't but i think that there's got to be some level of of confidence if it wasn't there because we started the first part of the season what's lebron going to be able to do come postseason is he going to be able to call upon um his game like that and since i like i haven't watched the game back yet but pete I thought LeBron was terrific defensively and yep. he was ignore he was yes. he was yes. ignoring Brooks but when you have so we all know what AD is doing in there we all know what Vanderbilt does and then LeBron is also in like playing defense like that it is a that is a very, very, very difficult uh, task to try and score on a group. On like top that. of the celebration and the environment and everything that was amazing about last night, that was a fascinating basketball game because I think it represents the best of what the Lakers can be. So let's take a break. And when we come back, let's get into what actually happened in the game. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. 
Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So, Darius, there's so much to talk about, but Mike... Starting on LeBron's defense and just the defense in general, I think is absolutely the place to start. Yet another instance of the Lakers looking oppressive for long stretches on the defensive end. What did you see? I'm glad Mike brought up LeBron's defense because there were several possessions that stood out to me exactly for LeBron's defense. So one was he got a switch on to Jaron Jackson, I think, and or was just on Jaron Jackson, but it might have been in rotation. And he just sort of like stonewalled him in a way and pressured him in in a way where I was just like, oh, LeBron's not playing around. And he just shut whatever action was going to be run. LeBron eliminated that with his ball pressure. There was another possession where he got locked on the Bane, and I think this was on the right wing. And it was sort of early offense or Bain had come off a screen. LeBron switched switched out and he just engulfed Bain. Bain tried to like go middle on him and Braun beat him with two steps and basically just took it right in the chest and just shut off his water entirely. And I was just like, oh, Braun is about it right now defensively and there were multiple other possessions where he wasn't just solid it was like a step up from solid LeBron is so big and he's so strong that when if if he like bumps into you or if he just stands in your way he can make you move a certain direction and a lot of times him just being solid is enough within the construct of team defense to make sure that like you're keeping the wheel going defensively in in a way where there's no breakdowns. But when he goes from solid to like, yeah. oh, no, I am super engaged. The Lakers can become one of those teams where they're just they seem like they're everywhere. And with A.D. lurking on the backside and, and basically just challenging every single shot on the interior, the play where he like Tyus Jones had like a little layup like in it was off of a mm-hmm. turnover and then he went for that reverse and then AD just bothered him enough to force the miss and then came up with the defensive rebound and then the Lakers pushed the other way and I think Rui got got a dunk at the end of that and AD is just screaming that idea of you're not getting anything mm-hmm. simple against us and and even the things that work for you they feel like a reprieve yeah, rather no, than no, we have momentum. anything yeah. 
going for us now. Like, like, like there's nothing to build on here. Like we just got one. Right. And it's like, it's like that, that like a football play, right. Where it's just like, Oh, well, well, they stopped us at the line of scrimmage. They stopped us at the line of scrimmage. And then you get like a three yard run. <laughs> and you're like, ah, yeah. Yeah. Great. Three yards. All we got to do. Yeah. All we got to do is do that three more times. And, and it's third and one. Right. But it's just like, bro, you can't keep just rutted head first into a wall. And that's what I thought the Lakers defense did. 85 points, man. And like the last stretch of that, the last eight minutes of that or eight yeah. and a half minutes of that were garbage time. It was like, that's where you could typically make a game more respectable. But it's just like, nope, they still only got 85 points. They still couldn't crack 90. They just blitzed them, Pete. It was really an unreal defensive performance. Yeah, man. Uh, uh, there's so many different angles to it also. Like, we haven't even mentioned Let, D'Angelo Russell mention yet. And, you know, D'Lo finding his groove offensively and I think riding out of some of that energy defensively. But what I loved about him early is that he was attacking and probing a little bit more and he wasn't just sort of settling and staying on the perimeter and that was not an element to the Lakers half court offense that Memphis seemed particularly ready for because it's so focused on AD uh, and LeBron to a secondary extent into just leaving Vanderbilt like the way that the Lakers were leaving Brooks and LeBron was helping in that's what they were trying to do with Jaron Jackson Jr but when D'Lo penetrates like that they just almost just don't have that extra resource and he can just pull up or he got he got all the way to the rim three times and I thought that was really effective. And then the barrage of threes in the second half. And, and that's the point where this has happened many times now since Russell came here at the trade deadline, where if he hits one and he feels that roar of the crowd, like the next two or three are going in. And the team has is basically won all of those games by double digits. And, you know, he he got going. Austin was efficient when you were talking about LeBron. The way that he was defensively, I thought he was similarly focused and direct offensively. And when LeBron is direct offensively, I mean, he was nine for 13. So, but Pete, oh, no, 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 I, no, I, on, no uh, on any of these. LeBron, though, was like oftentimes off of the ball, like in a game six. Like when I'm saying that game six like this re reveals truth, it's like, yo, we got to win this game. So whatever it is that we have think that we can do best we're going to do it in this game and to start that game. And I loved it because it's worked all series. The double drags or just drag screens, which is when you, when the ball handler drives sideline to sideline and a double drag is when it gets two screens. We were doing a variety, but mostly double drags. And those had been working all series, but LeBron is stationed on the other side of the court. LeBron's the off ball player. He's cutting for these buckets. He's nine for 13 because he's getting shots in transition as this off ball player. They trusted the guards against a tough physical Memphis defense to run the show. And they did it brilliantly with D'Lo being the headliner of that and his story, Darius, like, <laughs> I can't believe it's D'Angelo Russell of all people too, right? Like back in 2015, I imagined somewhere around 2020, 2021, D'Lo hitting buckets as a third option next to two stars, right? The young core never had to be the superstars for this team. Stars come to LA, but we needed a guy who could play off of them. And both as a person, as a player, seeing being very skeptical of his ability to score and kind of operate in the playoffs to start this series against a team that I think plays into a lot of his physical disadvantages, particularly as a strength player. 
to see him get grimy buckets, that was the thing that really stood out to me, that he was getting those shots in the lane, getting to the free throw line a little bit in the paint against physical contests and back pressure and things like that. And then he's like, he's the shooter that I think that they imagined Beasley to be in that he's carrying that flamethrower around that Mike was talking about yeah. where it's like, he hits one and then it's like, yeah. oh, he just went on a 9-0 run by himself. Let me redirect this to Darius though, because I want to emphasize a point that you made, Pete, about it wasn't, hey, it's game six from a LeBron perspective, struggled last game, five for 17. Exactly. I got this clear out, you know, I'm driving in, I'm, it, he, he, he understood where what Memphis wanted to do defensively. He understood where their resources were going to be deployed. They so they involved Russell and Austin, and then LeBron and AD essentially were like, "Hey, we're going to set this tone defensively, and then we're going to attack the spots once Memphis has to react because you guys are doing stuff that works." And that's the part of basketball that I think is is sometimes hard to get from. We have this history in the NBA yeah. of stars needing to be stars but you can start that process by doing the role player things and it's you're not it's not going to happen the whole time it's not going to happen like game one necessarily next series but like when it's all on the line how lebron actually knows the best way to do that possession by possession and that to me was a master class um of him setting that tone and, and ad should get just as much credit you know because this dude took some heat because he had a couple of offensive struggles and but he, this wasn't the first game that he completely dominated defensively. He, all of the minutes that he was on the court, basically, the Lakers led the whole series. They extended his minutes. And then they, he was ready to play 48. He only had to play 28 in, in the whole game because of how good he was uh, when he was on the court. I have so many things to say, man. It's just like mm -hmm. AD was the best player in the series. He was the best player in the series. He dominated in a way defensively that you typically expect a player to dominate offensively yes. in order to be the best player in the series. So normally the best player in the series is the guy who scores all the damn I mean, points might, or controls the, every single offensive possession. He might possession. be the best player in the playoffs so far. Now, I with the two with a yeah, couple of off, Jimmy Butler with a couple of offensive yeah, struggle yeah. games, I get like you're going to have B Butler and probably Devin Booker, sure. um but like what how much he's dominating defensively though? To me, the gulf, the gap between that and like how much those guys are dominating offensively, I I, I just think that it's a it's a debate. AD has been awesome. A point on LeBron. I would have loved to have had a pregame conversation with with LeBron because I saw the video of, <laughs> of him warming up five hours before the game. And he was rocking a pair of Zoom LeBron 2s. And I'm just like, oh, I wonder what the significance is of him wearing basically a shoe that is like not one of the classic like... LeBron will often bring out a pair of classics, like one of the pairs that he, like he might wear the Zoom Ones, his first shoe. He might wear, wear a pair that he wore in like Miami, but he had a specific callback to the Zoom LeBron 2s, his second shoe from his second season. And I would just love to know what went into that thought thought process. To, that was his first, that was the first season he went to the playoffs. There could be some, some symbolism there. I'm not entirely sure, but I just thought, oh, bro, Bron's, with a whenever he wears a throwback shoe to me, there, there, there's always something behind that, and, and I just love to know more about that. I'll try to, I'll try to find that out for you. Yeah, please, please. The point about D'Lo and Austin, but D'Lo first is when you guys talked about LeBron and his off-ball work. 
and that understanding of who to attack, they attack Jaw. Yep. So Jaw's on D'Lo. We, D'Lo, you're handling the ball. When that switched and they said, well, damn, D'Lo's got God going and they put Brooks on D'Lo, then it was Austin. Austin was bringing the ball up every single time against Ja. And I'm just like, this is, they're just relentlessly making sure that they're putting Ja in actions. But for D'Lo, I thought some of the thing, all the shot making, everything, I thought that all of that was superb and you guys hit all of that stuff. The thing that stood out to me in my yeah. rewatch this morning was the pace and the tempo and the passing. He was playing with great pace and great tempo. He was pushing the ball up court. He was making hit ahead passes. When he was coming off screens, he was coming off screens hard. I thought this was true for AD. AD was hitting screens fast and then getting downhill quickly D'Lo hit hit AD with two precision passes one for a dunk against a switch against Conchar where he mm-hmm. D'Lo came off the, the screen so fast made him commit JJJ yep. had to switch on to him Conchar was late on his switch D'Lo hits hits AD right on the inside hand leading him right into the basket for a dunk the next play, D'Lo, or a couple plays later, D'Lo probes, and then, and then they switch again. Bane is on him. Bane is on AD, I mean. So AD slips into the pocket, and it's sort of confusion, like, am I staying here? Is this my guy? And then D'Lo Beautiful. throws a pinpoint lob, Pete, like literally three inches outside the rim, where AD basically, he could have just, like, tapped it in so easily, but he got an easy dunk. It was... The precision in which D'Lo was playing with, I thought his comments after game five, the loss in the locker room, they asked him, someone asked him, it might have been you, Mike, but but I'm not exactly sure about the pressure. Like, do you feel more pressure going home to not have to basically come back here for, for game seven? And D'Lo said, there's pressure on everyone. So basically, like, we feel pressure, they feel pressure, it's all pressure. So all we got to do is everyone's just got to go home, get their mind right, and get mentally prepared in whatever way that they can in order to play this game and come out ready to play. And I thought those were just words that he said, but I thought he exemplified that as much as any other Laker. We talk, we talk about LeBron being locked in. We talk about AD being locked in. I thought D'Lo was locked in yeah. in a way where I hadn't actually seen him this locked in in any like individual game all season. And I was just like, he came ready to play and the shot making was there. The decision making was there. And he, he led the team in scoring. He had 31 points and hit every back-breaking three where it thought, like, oh, you think you're making a run? You think it's going to be 15? Nope, it's going to be 18. Nope, it's 21. Nope, it's 27. You're knocked out. The game is over now. And it was was him just burying them with those outside side jumpers. The one that he hit where the guy was all on top of him and he just flicked it. And he shot it with a little bit of extra arc and it just swished right through the net. <laughs> Unreal shot making. I love the point you made about the high level precision of which that last play is. It's part of the like fun and flair of basketball, but it's also the reason why 
a guy like him who doesn't have a ton of physical tools gets drafted second in the draft because he makes those types of plays and, and passes with a level of velocity and precision precision that make basketball people go, oh man, did you see that pass? Did you see that play? Did you see that? And that, Mike, when you get to game six in the playoffs level basketball, everybody's locked in. Everybody's given their best. Everybody knows each other. Like you said, you have to the windows you have to work with are very small and to be able to execute again with velocity and precision at the same time is just that ultimate manifestation of the skill guard that we've been dreaming of right that he's not going to be this guy every game and i think that the playoff story of delo is there's still more chapters in it to go but what a series by him yeah typically I think the issue with Russell in some parts, and I've, I've mentioned this before, but he's so even keeled now. He's so, I've figured the game out. I've figured myself out. I'm yes. going to play the same way every night. But I thought he raised his level a little bit uh, for game six specifically. And yeah. I don't know that he had to that level earlier in the series. And I don't know what, what thing, what led to that. If it was just the whole, the team, the, the observation of LeBron across a playoff series, I don't think hurt in that sense. But whatever it was, and he and he got there, and him him being able to raise up a little bit, um, to me has some big significance because now, like I said, it's on wax now, and you can watch that tape. And if he doesn't play like that, then you can have that conversation, you know, in the huddle, like, mm-hmm. hey, we've seen it now. This that's the level, that's the level, that's the level of precision, it's the level of energy, and all that. And I know we we've got a couple more pods to go before the next series. I just want to do one big picture thought quick, if I could. Please. As this series has gone on, the concern certainly, after, especially after watching LeBron in game five, was, well, the last thing they want to have to do is go to Memphis uh, in game seven and, and try to, not just because it would have been difficult to win that game, but even if they were, then the next series was going to start. The next series is going to start now, thanks to Sacramento beating Golden State on Tuesday. And that means that the Lakers actually have the rest advantage. LeBron gets a couple extra days to get himself ready and right for game one. And the other two teams have to play a a no-holds-barred, brutal game seven um, in Sacramento. So it's like we're going back to all these best-case scenarios, and and it changes. It changed every week. All right, well, here's at the All-Star break. Yeah, but they've got guys now. Like, they can make a run. They can get into the play-in if they play right. If they do things right, okay, blah, 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 blah. Eventually you get to the plane. Well, it'd be great if they could get Sacramento in round one, right? Mm. Because of the, uh, because Sacramento relative to Memphis, you know, et cetera. Well, they don't, but now they have beaten Memphis. And now Sacramento has been pushed and been tested. Golden State, I, this is what I'm going to do after we get, got off the pod. Um, I'm going to go watch that game, but I only got snippets of it because it was, it was a busier, usually I get, I can kind of like watching on League Pass while going through the pregame, but it was too busy. And, I heard Darius that Golden State looked fatigued already in game six. And so it's just without getting into anything breaking down, just the the Lakers are going into the series with peak confidence, better rest than what the opponent has. And it's going to be every other day. And you could say that in, in general, that wouldn't favor the Lakers. You would hope that LeBron would have a, a couple of games where it would be in between. Now, I think that's even better because the team, whoever wins on Sunday, they got to play every other day with no rest whatsoever. Yeah. And and that to me is is a big difference. Take out the matchup advantages of which I think the Lakers have on both teams. No, I think that the rest advantage is crucial. I also think that for the Lakers, the Lakers were the team that flew across country in their first round series, 
right? And so the Clippers series, that was like literally a 90-minute flight. Mike, you've taken that flight a ton of times from Los Angeles to Clippers Phoenix. To yeah. Phoenix. The Warriors and Kings got to ride a bus in between <laughs> their locations. It's just like I've made that drive myself from the Bay to Sa- to the Sacramento Wait. area a hundred times. Wait. You know why this is a cogent point by you? Because LeBron yes. specifically brought this up in his press I didn't conference even hear the last pre- night. I didn't even hear post-game. He mentioned the flight time to <laughs> Sacramento and to San Francisco. So it, if LeBron is bringing it up without even, even being prompted, that you know that's a, a significant factor. And for, for somebody like LeBron, like he's got – well, I, I'm not going to share what he does, like what his routine is. He kind of he wants to, like getting on a plane, but – you know, compression socks, all that kind of stuff to, to try to, he's doing everything to, it's very difficult to do that. Um, at, at that, at that stage of a career. So for him, this next round is, is majorly important that what the fact that you just mentioned. No, Pete. So those are the things that, that I look at as well, right? It's all of the things that you're looking for little wins within this or things Always. on the margins that, that are going to help the Lakers. And this is a thing that I think can be beneficial to them, just like it'll be beneficial to the other team to stay on the West Coast and fly within the state. But the rest advantage stuff, like all of that stuff is key. Yeah. Memphis being in the Western Conference at all is an artifact of them being in Vancouver to start out with, right? And so it's one of the more unusual uh, travel times in the West. And so that's just one of the many, many storylines that go along in a series like this. But Lakers made it through the fire and the Lakers are comprised of a lot of people, both on the floor and off, who have made it through the fire in a number of ways. And I'm just, I just want to close and say, and I'm so I'm so happy for so many of the people that have put the work into getting to this point who like, like, yeah, you just chop wood, carry water, right? You do the little things, even in bad times, even if things are looking hopeless or whatever, you, you do the work and good things can end up happening. And here we are advancing to the second round of the playoffs. We will be back on Monday to discuss the next series. But until then, you've been listening to the Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. Baines has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tips to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic got it. Magic fires. It's good. The Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. Van Exel to win it. It's on the way. Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. With his eighth block shot, the an NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans okay, sticking so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two, score. Miss it. Right. Unbelievable. Score victory. It's over. Shot clock now to five. Bryant. Yes. And that was a little tough to Albert Gentry. Bad insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic. Trying to disrupt Rondo, he puts it in. Here's Davis, 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers!
James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.